be careful. Don't get into weird stuff uh, and get help if you need help and take care of yourself. It looks like we're going to have a good 2023 to me. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such exciting things as inverted yield for curves, uh, economists' missed expectations on employment opportunities, and yes, things that are crazy exciting. And this is Jake McClure. Uh, this is Jeff McClure. Together we are bald. And you want to say something. So say something. That's that's all I was going to say is you left your names out. <clears throat> yes. So we're going to talk about exciting things and we're bald. And, and if you don't find those things exciting, which we just listed, then um, you should listen anyway, but uh, be bored. <laughs> we're, bald, we're bald and bearded. Yes, that too. That's important. Uh, we and have we're some, geeks. And we're geeks. Those are the, right. the most important disclosures, but we're going to jump into the other disclosures that we have. The name of this bum, bum. program, no, bum, bum, uh, no, bum. different kind of disclosing. I'm not, I'm, oh. my clothes are staying on. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not on the table that I'm currently standing on. Really not. Um, I got you. Um, okay. So the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this radio program, this podcast, and it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. That's not coincidental because the people talking to you are the principles at that firm. However, just because it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they think that we're any kind of good or bad or anything else. It's just a regulatory agent. It's kind of like going to the DMV and saying, I have a license. That means they like me. Nope. They don't like you. They don't dislike you. Well, how do you not like someone without disliking them? <sighs> that's how the SEC feels about us and anybody else that's registered with them. Their job is to punish and to regulate not to approve and give nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, on the other end of that, just because we're registered with the SEC as a firm to give investment advice doesn't mean we can do that on the air. We can't. Fiduciary investment advice is in the best interest of the client and comes with knowing who they are in detail, asking lots of questions, and keeping that advice and information private. So unless we know all of you who are listening, and we might... We might know you all. Still not very private for us to tell you. Even if there's only one of you listening right now, we know for a fact that the Russians download our podcasts at the same volume as the Americans do. Yes, we can tell who's downloading our podcasts. And there's a lot of Russians. So, dasvidaniya. Uh, those of you listening from Russia, I hope you're staying warm. And please get out of Ukraine. There you go. Now we're on another list at the service area in Russia. <laughs> okay, so next disclosure is that we do not pay for this radio program. We are not doing paid commercial programming. This is uh, not also paying us anything. This is kind of a volunteer thing we've been doing. I've been doing it since 1998. Older Baldy here, who also happens to be my dad has been doing this on the air since 1996. My dad being Jeff, his son being me, Jake. Uh, we've been working together now 
since 1991, which should inform you as to the level of uh, insanity when you have a father-son team working together for 32 years, you get a really old father and bald bearded weirdos on the radio. So that's what you've got here. Um, you've got a, a disclosure to give us and I don't want to take it from you. So please go ahead. In your, in your best I love it. monotone, high-speed voice, please continue. Well, I, I think I'll use my radio voice instead. Okay, go ahead. The information we have obtained for this educational radio program has been sourced from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. With, there's, we could spend the next two hours talking about it, and we will. But we have a question now that we're moving off of the, the market and what's happened this week, we have a generalized question. John, Inquisitor John, our most faithful questioner, who questions everything we do. Um, well, that doesn't sound right. He's, he questions our ability. No, wait, no, that's not it either. Thank you, John, for giving us questions to answer on the air. Um, his uh, email, the subject line is inverted yield curve and no recession. The question is, or the statement, as I recall, the inverted yield curve is a strong predictor of a recession, but is historically not 100% accurate or correct. For those times when it was not correct, are there similarities of today's conditions? This is one of those things that's hard to Google. So when you go out there and look for yield curve that didn't lead to a recession, you're going to find a hard time finding that information. So first, let me tell you the psychology of why it is so hard to find that stuff, because nobody's written articles on it. You'd think this would be something that people would write a lot of articles on, but advertisements are sold with bad news. You click on things because of the bad news potential. I actually had to go back to the data. By the data, I mean looking at when the yield curves inverted uh, at the Treasury Department and going forward and looking for recessions that occurred immediately after and so on. The last time we had an inverted yield curve that did not lead to a recession was not in the 1960s. It was not in the 1940s or 50s. It was in 1998, right after the Russians defaulted on their currency. This was affectionately known as uh, the Asian contagion. One of my professors uh, who won a Nobel Prize later went on and actually caused that catastrophe. He's very humbled by it, though I don't know if you can ever humble somebody that has a Nobel Prize. Um, his name is Dr. Mortensen, by the way, if you want to look up what happened with that and all the details and so on. So when debt is defaulted on somewhere else, it causes a demand for safe place to, to loan money. So when the Russians and just about the entirety of Asia defaulted on debt, a lot of money was seeking a new place to go. Now, they were paying a really high interest rate before they defaulted, which is one of those things that when somebody says this has a high interest rate, you should buy it. That is always connected to higher risk. There's not a time when it isn't. There's never a time that somebody says, I'm going to give you a high interest rate that doesn't come hand in hand with high risk. Keep that in mind. Even when they say this is fully backed and guaranteed and fill in the blank with all the rest of the, of the mumbo jumbo, this is all safe stuff, uh, it's not. High interest rate always means high risk. Well, the Russians and the Thai and the Vietnamese all had really high interest rate debt. It failed. So the money that was flowing to that debt 
not the stuff that disappeared and was defaulted on, but people that saying, I need a place to store my money, couldn't put it there anymore. So where did they go? Well, they were scared, and they suddenly realized that high interest rate means high risk, so they sent it all to the United States, and they did it in pretty short-term increments. So our interest rates went up. Why? When a bunch of people want loans, and there's a limited amount of money to give in those loans, it means interest rates go up. You, you want my money, but so does three other people, so we're in an auction environment. How much will you pay for it? Interest rates go up. So... We had a spike in short-term interest rates in 1998. Man, that sounds like a quote from Rain Man, doesn't it? Uh, grabbed and, and squeezed and hurt my arm in 1998. Um, yes, uh, if you got the reference to Rain Man, it means that you have dated yourself thoroughly. Um, those of you that didn't understand it, just know it's old fogies talking. Don't, don't worry right. about it. Okay. Rain Man. So 1998, we had an inverted yield curve that did not lead to a recession. Now, we can go back and say every recession we've had since 1950 has been led by an inverted yield curve. What's an inverted yield curve? When the short-term rates are higher than the long-term rates. Wait a minute. What about 2020? We had a short recession right there, pandemic-related. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that, old baldy? I do. There was a, there was a little uh, something or another that happened on the world stage and caused everything to shut down and everything. We had an inverted yield curve in 2019. Didn't last very long, and it wasn't severely inverted. It was about six months before the recession of 2020. To claim that the bond market knew somehow about a virus that didn't exist yet is giving them more predictive power than they actually have. So that inverted yield curve would have been in front of maybe a mild recession. because We were saying we needed one at that point. But there's no way of knowing. It's like, what if Hillary Clinton had been elected? She would have done all these good things or bad things, proved me wrong. <laughs> Can't prove a negative. So we had a recession after that one, but it's really a stretch to claim that the yield curve inversion had any kind of predictive capability in a virus. Well, there is something to this. And, and this is, maybe it's just correlation and not causation, but it's real. And that is that several times in my 40 years of doing this, I have noted that as interest rates become inverted and we have short-term rates rising and all this stuff going on, because we're headed toward, we basically that means at that point, the economy is overheated and the Fed is acting uh, and the and natural occurrence is acting to raise short-term interest rates, but not long-term interest rates. So when those events occur, there is a, that is, they occur in an environment where crazy things are likely to happen because people are overconfident. That's typically the top of Wait, a bull market. That's crazy. And talk. It, crazy things can happen. Yeah, like in, two, in 2000, we had an inverted yield curve, and everybody said it's different this time, it's not going to happen, and the stock market proceeded to start falling, and in 2002, it, it finally hit bottom 50% below where it started. And, and let me be clear here. We were on the air in 98, 99, and 2000. We saw the inverted yield curve, and we said, ah, it may be different this time, don't worry about it. And then we were wrong. Right. So, right, we were wrong. Right, we were wrong. So I just admitted to being wrong. What is this? Economists aren't allowed to do that. Uh, yeah, we looked at it and we said, hey, we've got other things going on. This is good. We're going to real time. We're, this is a just-in-time ordering system. This is going to change the world. It did for 20 years, but 
it wasn't quite as integrated into the system as we hoped. So that recession led by the dot-coms was also an inventory buildup in warehouses. We were thinking that was pretty well solved by just-in-time delivery. So I know that well, we, got a little we, bit technical. We've learned a few things along the way, I hope, over the last we 23 hope. years. Yeah, we, we hope. Or 24 years. And when we say that it is different this time, we're not saying that out of some kind of prejudice. We're saying that because what's going on out there is literally very, very different. And, and a key thing, and I want to talk about this during the, during the show today, hopefully I have time. We are getting some strongly conflicting indicators in the economy right now. Normally, the, the, the big indicators in the economy tend to all point in the same direction. They move slowly over to one side, and then they move slowly back to the other side. And you can see things coming in. People say, no, it's not going to happen this time. Oh, yeah, it does. It's kind of like the tides. But this is very different. We're seeing actions and reactions, and we're seeing a lot of confusion out there. And anybody who's serious about economics at this point is saying, we are seeing massive conflicts. Yeah. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so we are in uncharted water, and we have to go back and look at the most basic issues. We have to go back to fundamentals, A, and B... It's really important to take a long-term look at things instead of a short-term look. Because in the short term, things are bouncing around tremendously. But if you back up and look at about a three-year hindsight and see where things are relative, then the picture becomes a lot more clear. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. This week has got a great example of that. This is fantastic. Um, On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates a quarter of a point which surprised the market, as is usual. Now, they have since... what? It didn't, okay. Yeah, it did. You saw the market jump up like, whoa, they actually did it. It was flat, flat, flat. The Federal Reserve does exactly what they've said they were going to do for the last month and a half. And suddenly, boom, the market jumps up. And then the next day it drops, 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 drops. A little wobbling around after that. And that was predictable. This is what generally happens, at least this year, when the, or this, these last, I guess, two years, when the Federal Reserve raised rates. They have consistently called how much they're going to raise way in advance. They raise it and the market jumps. So what's going on there? And I've had this question from my wife and from other people around because I'm talking about this and how silly it is. And she says, well, people that are managing their own money, they should be paying attention to this, right? And I said something that is, is worthwhile enough to say again on the air. People tend to manage at a granular level. They get down to the magnifying glass and they're looking at what they own. And they say, this is a good company and that's a bad company. Or they say, the profits are going to jump up over in this company and they've got this new product or something along those lines. And they lose sight of the overall big picture picture. And they say, I'm fine with that. These good companies, they're all I need. Their own definition of good is what they're using here, obviously, uh, or, or they wouldn't be buying it. Well, then as they're at that granular level, they see a headline, Federal Reserve raises interest rates. They haven't been following all the little headlines. Federal Reserve says they're going to raise interest rates for the past month and a half. All these little headlines of we're going to do this, we're going to do this. They see the big headline. 
It's happened. So they go, oh, what's, there's something must be wrong, and they, and they respond to that, they, or something must be right, and they respond to that. And that's, that is a very normal part of the market. So when we have a, a surprise, it's because we're looking too closely at the market. And what you just said is if you take a step back, get, put the magnifying glass down a second. Stop looking at your schedule minute to minute and look at the calendar for the year or two years or four years, and you start to see that there's a regularized pattern there. Um, And once you start to say, okay, let's not jump every time somebody pops a balloon, that doesn't mean you shouldn't leave if a gun is going off. You got to learn the difference. And that's where people consistently get surprised. They hear a loud noise and they go up and they panic. Uh, And the Federal Reserve doing anything amounts to a loud noise. All of their stuff where they get and give speeches where they say, we're going to do this. Hey, everybody, put your earplugs in. We're about to pop a balloon. That stuff got lost because the balloon got popped and they were in the middle of a conversation talking about how many birthday candles are going to be on their kid's birthday cake. So big boom. They all jump. They're shrieking. And then they all go, oh, it's no big deal. That's what we watched in the market this week. And it's because people lose sight of the big picture. And I just said in a lot of words, using a lot of mixed metaphors, exactly what old Baldy did, just in a very much shorter period of time. There you go. Well, there, we had some major economic news this week. Um, that's, that's a bit of an understatement. And the major economic news certainly bears watching. Um, I mean, all eyes are on the Federal Reserve once a month or whenever they have their uh, their meetings, they have them irregularly. Um, and there, everything is focused on that right now, but there's things in the economy that really need to be observed to tell what's going on out there. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, one of our favorites, right? BEA and the BLS, the the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Bureau of Labor Statistics they're self-defined just, bureaucrats, so we can. I, they're not trying to quibble or argue about it at all, and we're fine with that. We we like it when they can admit to being bureaucrats. I just think that the great large tables of data that they put out are beautiful. Anyway, we, we imagine the green visors over their heads with no additional hat and pocket protectors, and that's our imagination. If that's not what's really happening, please don't pop our bubble on that or yeah, our, our okay. balloon. Can we go back to Speaking the prior? Of, Bubbles and balloons, right. They come out with their employment situation summary every month, and which is just called the jobs report because employment situation summary estimate report is just too many words to say. So we'll call it the jobs report. Non-farm payroll employment. They don't count farms for reasons known only to God. And they only count the people who are on the payroll which is another issue, but at least it's consistent. It rose by 517,000 in the United States in January. 517,000. That is astonishing. It is something that no economist forecast. The average number of people being the new, the net new jobs being created and filled in last year when we had a hiring blitz underway in the United States, when, when the Federal Reserve and, and, and a lot of other people said we were just hiring too many people, there's too much money being generated through all that hiring. Um, uh, averaged about 400,000 last year, which was unusually high, very unusually high. Around 200,000 new jobs is plenty to keep the economy growing. Actually, we could cruise along nicely at about 170,000 new jobs a month, and we would have a steady state economy and everybody would be happy. 
in January, with all the noise about a coming recession, employers hired net 517,000 new employees. Now, when I say net, obviously there, there's people who left and people who were laid off. That's calculated in there too. But if you, tra- if you take the number of jobs minus the number of jobs lost, it's 517,000. That is astonishing. And then on top of that, now listen, listen carefully, folks. You may recall that under the previous administration, there was a great deal of joy and a lot of political noise being made about the fact that unemployment rate dropped to 3.5%. And it was, and, and it was a great rejoicing in the Republican Party. Um, it's now 3.4%, which I don't see a lot of rejoicing going on because of that. But this is the lowest unemployment rate we have seen since 1969. And that caused the market to sag a little bit. Why did it cause the market to sag a little bit? Because the Federal Reserve has clearly stated then, and Chairman Powell stated, that they're concerned about the fact that there's so many open positions and there's so much demand for employees that the price of the employees is being bid up. Their wages are rising and as their wages rise, they have more money to spend, and that could exacerbate inflation. And he's and the goal of the Federal Reserve, at least according to what they've been saying, is to slow this train down and not have so many job openings and not have so many people being hired. And wham, we get a 517,000 people hired net in January. That is huge. Um, then, if you read a little deeper into the report, there's some there's some, a lot of little tidbits in there if you're a geek and like we are. And really want to read interesting tidbits. Uh, now, now, this is important. If you have been reading the headlines or reading the economic news and all, you have been you know that there have been a lot of huge layoffs, big layoffs at Amazon and Microsoft and anybody, Apple, huge layoffs. So you would expect to see that the numbers should jump for people making jobless claims. And in fact, they didn't jump, Uh, they fell. And so what we've got now is a situation where the number of people who are filing new unemployment claims is dropping. Uh, Unemployment is dropping like a rock. Um, The number of people being hired is jumping upward. All this is happening at the same time. It, it It is really an unusual circumstance when you have major corporations laying off hundreds of tens and hundreds of thousands of people and the unemployment rate drops. And what's happening is these people are getting laid off at the big tech corporations and they're immediately being hired by small businesses because small businesses are still screaming for employees. They can't find enough employees. So they're going from the big tech firms to the small businesses and they're not filing for unemployment because they're going straight into another job. The good news is here, wages are not going up very fast, which means they're taking on the new job at this smaller company without getting a raise or getting very little raise. So we're, we're charging forward very nicely. Wages uh, rose at a 3.6% annualized rate, 0.3%. Uh, and as recent as December, it was 5.2%. So the wage rate increase is going down. Well, let me, let me break in just real quick before we go to commercials and, and point out, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today about why is it the economists keep getting the numbers wrong predictively on employment? <clears throat> and they, they call it a big bunch of egg on the economist faces for missing this one because it's a big one. Uh, the Labor Department reported 517,000 
new job or net new jobs where economists estimate, but the Wall Street Journal does this ongoing um, survey of economists and says, what do you expect to happen? And the estimate was 187,000 net new jobs. So 187 is a lot less than 517, in case those of you that aren't following. Why did they get it so wrong? And the answer is seasonal adjustment has a lot more to do with this than people are recognizing. Um, the Labor Department seasonally adjusts, adjusts this stuff. And if you compare the graph or the numbers, if you graph the numbers that say what's the seasonal adjustment, non-farm payrolls seasonally adjusted end of, uh, in, so going into January uh, is 155 million people. That's seasonally adjusted. What's seasonally adjustment? In Christmas, we hire a lot of people, and then in January, we get rid of those temporary employees. This isn't firing or laying off. It's an extra workforce added for a temporary thing, and then they go back out looking for jobs again. So remember 155 million. Non-seasonally adjusted, just the unadjusted stuff, the normal plain Jane, this is how many are in the workforce, it's 152.8 million 155 versus 152.8 so we're talking about two a little over two million people less than the seasonal adjustment in the workforce and the difference between what the economists said in their survey and what the labor department said in its uh seasonally adjusted numbers um, are a, a lot less than 2 million difference. We're talking about 300,000 difference. This starts to fall into, okay, this is just normal mistakes. And the economists are saying, yeah, but we're trying to seasonally adjust too. We just expected less jobs because we see all these headlines of tech companies laying off and you just covered that. They're getting laid off and immediately hired by small businesses, just snapping them right up. And the number of open job positions is still two times the number of people looking that, for jobs. That means it's going to be a while before we have these big negatives that we would expect. So do you want to add something else to it too? I, I just want to say what this means. And, and we're, I want to get into some more detail on it, particularly in the manufacturing sector. But what it means is employers don't see a recession coming, or if they see it, they think it's coming. It's going to be very short and they're going to come out of it like gangbusters. Right. They're on the ground. They're directly in contact with the consumers who buy things, and they are hiring, which indicates the probability of a severe recession is, in my opinion, tiny to non-existent. One of the things that I want to point out here, we had absolutely no question about it, a bubble building in a, in a portion of our economy. There's no question about it. That's the used vehicle portion of our economy. That includes leasing, renting, selling, buying. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Used vehicles had a bubble forming. Why was a bubble forming there? Well, because we had supply chain issues. Those of you that don't recall that, um, should that's actually a pretty good place to be. Those of you that don't recall the supply chain issues, you obviously skipped a negative part of our history in the last couple of years. <laughs> Um, chips weren't available to put in the computers in the cars and seatbelt straps and the material for the seats that go in the car and 
um, and the little blue logo for Ford. And you just go through all the little pieces that we had supply chain issues with. There weren't enough cars for the people who wanted to buy them. There was a lot of cash on hand and interest rates were low. So people were going out and getting really low interest rate car loans and buying and buying and the prices were going up and up and up. Generally speaking, you drive a car off the lot, it's worth less than what you bought it for. That was not the case for the last two years. You drove the car off and it started going up in value nearly exponentially. There was a 40% increase in value in 2021 for cars, used cars. That's absurd. The Federal Reserve agrees with that. And if you look at the five-year loan rates that, that are out there on the treasuries, you'll see that those rates have gone way, way, way up. And we're starting to see the disinflation that the Fed was talking about. They popped that bubble. They are also deflating without popping anything. It wasn't quite a bubble. It just was getting a little bit inflated. The housing market. So housing market is coming down. And we said this at the beginning of the hour that this isn't the same as the 2007-2008 global financial crisis when there was a massive amount of speculation in houses. We had a lot of home building going on, lots of it, where people were just cranking out the houses and people were going and speculating on those new houses and saying, this is my primary residence. I only have 12 of them. We had the robo-signing issue where nobody knew who owned what. All that stuff's pretty well taken care of. Come forward to today, there's been a lack of home building. There aren't enough houses to go around. And that's a supply chain issue. The same issue that we had with cars, we had with building houses. The first supply chain issue that we had was we didn't have enough people to do it with. We couldn't build a lot of houses when the demand was up. They were either in lockdown and you couldn't work together, or then when they were ready to work together, the lumber prices went in and got ranked up there with gold prices. Um, the, the faucet prices were definitely in the platinum spectrum. Uh, you, you've got all these supply chain issues. We didn't have the stuff that we needed to do. Used houses prices were going cranked up into full stratosphere mode. And we've begun that deflating. We're slimming that down. We're bringing it back down. There's still not enough houses. And that's something that we're going to see in the future. The downturn we're seeing in the housing market right now is temporary because there's not enough houses and there's a lot of people that want them. They're just waiting for affordability. I got a question. It wasn't sent over the internet. It was in person. Very good question. If inflation is coming down, and as we have said, and as we report, inflation basically over the last several months has been non-existent. Yeah, it's been going it's disinflationary. Been, it's going it's backwards. It's been going the other direction. Things are getting less expensive on average. Then why does the price of eggs suddenly go through the stratosphere? That doesn't and, have to do with overall inflation. That has to do with avian flu. Well, it, it, it has to do with overall inflation. Let me explain why. Uh, you talk about supply chain. It's supply and demand that drives right. all of this. And this is and a supply, localized is supply chain issue. We eat a lot of eggs in the United States, and it takes a lot of chickens to make the eggs. And avian flu, excuse Wait. me, came sweeping across the United States. And the avian flu not only killed a lot of chickens, but a lot of chickens had to be wiped out. 
zeroed out and burned. And so we have a shortage of chickens. So we have a supply chain issue. Actually, we have a chicken chain issue. Well, what came uh, first, first, the avian flu or the egg price? Sorry. Avian flu. Yeah, well, that, that's too easy to answer. Sorry, I did, so, these riddles are hard to come up with. And, and so, and the addition, you, you throw something else in there, and this is critical. If there's a shortage of eggs, people are willing to pay more for eggs because the egg consumption has not fallen despite the fact that we've had a tremendous jump in the price of eggs. And we're going to have to break this off and yeah. move on. I really Look, would like to talk about Just that. don't break the eggs when you break it off. You, I mean, no, okay. you have to to make omelets, but come on, come on. Uh, let's see. We've got, uh, I wanted to throw in, uh, we had a lot of hiring. We didn't say where that hiring was done. Um, and that's mostly in the HR department, I think. Yeah. Most, but except it really wasn't in small businesses. They generally don't have an HR department, but also <laughs> restaurant and healthcare jobs went big, big hiring. Yes. What's more state and local government did. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to lay out some other things that happened in 2022 that are a little weird because 2022 people look at as, man, this was the comeuppance we all needed. This is the fall from the height. We had this big thing that happened and it was horrible. People are mixing the economy with the market there. The market was down for 2022. The economy was up for 2022 and parts of the market were up. The parts of the market that were up have a lag effect. So state and local government get a lot of their revenue from sales tax. Some of them have an income tax, incomes were up, but a lot of it is ad valorem. It's the value of the land or the property that you own. And the Texas legislature is dealing with this very difficult problem right now. I'm not sure if you know that. They have a surplus, a big surplus. Uh, So do a lot of the states. And they're hiring. People at these states are hiring a huge amount. So we had the same kind of hiring in leisure and hospitality as we did at the state government level. And pretty close to the same amount of hiring between local and federal governments as we saw in professional and business services and educational and health services. So what does that mean? We had firing a net firing in only one major area, and that's, you put air quotes around this because this is great. They call it information, as if that's not the service sector, uh, as if making software is somehow different than um, helping somebody with their accounting. It's the same area. It's just in information, you can say people that write the software for it. We had firing there. But at the same time that they were being fired, other services, air quotes around that, We're hiring drastically, and that's where we're seeing it. People leaving the information, big tech, and going to work for a small business to help them with their technology. And that's what has been going on. Construction is hiring. Mining and logging is hiring. Manufacturing, hiring. Leisure and hospitality, professional and business services, education and health services, other services, trade, transportation and utilities, financial activity. All of those things are in the massive positive area. Some of the mixed signals come from when does the revenue occur? The state and local and federal government get their revenue based on what you did last year. And as long as last year was a positive for your income or a positive for the value of what you own in property or a positive in that you spent more to buy stuff than you did the year before, state and local and federal government are all going to improve by that. Their revenue goes up. So they're still hiring. 
And I would expect even when we hit into a recession, if we were to hit a recession in 2023, state, local, and federal government are still going to be hiring because their revenue is based on what you did last year. So keep that in mind. The hiring numbers are not predictive of the economy. They're absolutely, in some cases, extremely lagged sometimes by a whole year because what you paid in property taxes at the beginning of this year for whatever you own, whether it was a house or a business or anything else, it's based on a valuation that you were given a year ago when the market was at its peak. So we may see if we get a drop in the housing market, a drop in the, in the property value market this year, we may see firing starting in February of next year at state and local governments. That's a massive lag. That's a 12-month lag where most businesses are dealing with like a two or three-month lag of our earnings are down, we need to lay people off. State and local governments are famous in that they don't look at this year's estimate on what they're going to receive for next year's revenue. They only look at what money they have sitting in the coffers right now and figure out how to spend it. And if they obligate themselves to something that they have to pay on for 10 years, then the only choice later on down the road is to fire people. So keep that in mind as we're going forward. Um, if we see property values drop, next year is when we would see state and local governments start to lay people off. Uh, and I think we're going to see some drop in that. If we keep our sales tax revenue up, that'll be good. Otherwise, uh, and... and income good otherwise just be aware local government the more they push or get from the ad valorem taxes from property taxes the more likely they are next year to be laying people off just one of those things uh if you'd like to talk to us off the air because we're about out of time you can uh reach us locally with voicemail on the weekends real life people during the week at 254 947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. There are our faces. Sorry about that. And you can contact us through the contact form. Email us directly, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. On the website, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can read the newsletter going back a long time if you don't want to sign up for it. Um, our radio programs go back a ways there. And you can find our podcasts anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.